This is the Advocatus Intimitati Podcast with Matt Lore, Episode 6. Hello, and welcome to Episode 6 of the Advocatus Intimitati Podcast, released on Monday, the 7th of October, 2019. Due to some production difficulties, this podcast was posted a little later than usual. I am your host, Matt Lore, here with a selection of privacy stories this week in the first half, followed by a discussion of the extraterritorial application of data protection laws, in particular the GDPR. The Court of Justice of the European Union ruled that Facebook can be required to take down content on a worldwide basis if it violates defamation or other law in an EU member country. The case involved an Austrian politician, Eva Glaschnig Bieszczek, over comments calling her a lousy traitor and member of a fascist party. This comes on the heels of a ruling by the CGEU last week that saw the court hold that the right to be forgotten did not require Google to remove links to content on a global basis, but only for EU users. I find this troubling. Just last week, it seemed the CGEU was taking a pragmatic approach to trying to censor the Internet, and now we see Facebook being ordered to remove content on a global basis that an Austrian court found to be defamatory. From an American perspective, the fact that the subject of these comments was a politician is even more troubling. This ruling, combined with the Google ruling, truly seems to indicate the EU values the protection of an individual's reputation over freedom of expression. The fact of the matter is, some people have earned a bad reputation. I can think of at least one American politician who would love the ability to silence his critics that the CGEU has now given to Europeans. The recent release of iOS 13 and Android 10 have brought new privacy protections to the mobile platforms, particularly around apps' use of location. For the first time, Android users can restrict apps' use of location data to only when the app is open, and iPhone users also have an Allow Once option to allow location access for only a single session. Both platforms also present users with reminders when an app accesses location in the background the first time. I find these updates a welcome addition. As it becomes increasingly clear that many apps surreptitiously track user location in the background, this gives users another tool to protect their privacy. In my experience, one of the most interesting and misunderstood aspects of data protection laws is also one of the most basic, their scope. Just who or what are they meant to protect? Let's start with the European Union's GDPR, since that is the law that gets the most attention these days. Article 2 covers the material scope of the GDPR. That's where we learn that the GDPR applies to processing wholly or partly by automated means, or otherwise as part of a filing system, just in case you thought you could evade the GDPR by pretending like it's 1950. The GDPR doesn't apply to purely personal or household activities, or to the investigation and prosecution of crimes, or in some other public circumstances that aren't of interest here. What is far more interesting is Article 3, which defines the territorial scope. That tells us that the GDPR applies to the processing of personal data in the context of the activities of a controller or processor in the Union, whether the processing takes place in the Union or not, as well as the processing of the personal data of data subjects who are in the Union by a controller or processor not established in the Union, where the processing activities are related to the offering of goods or services, irrespective of whether a payment of the data subject is required to such data subjects in the Union, 
or the monitoring of their behavior as far as their behavior takes place in the union. Well, that's quite a mouthful. What does it mean? Let's consider a few examples. Francois, a French national who lives in Paris, decides to take a trip to Chicago. He's a spontaneous type, so he doesn't book a hotel beforehand. He lands in Chicago and heads to the Drake Hotel, where he asks for a room at the front desk and completes a registration form. Does the GDPR apply to the processing of his data? No. The Drake Hotel is not in the European Union, nor is it processing the personal data of data subjects in the Union when it processes registration at the front desk in Chicago. Recital 14 makes clear that Francois's nationality or residency are irrelevant to determining whether the processing of his data is subject to the GDPR. What if Francois had booked the hotel room on the Drake Hotel's website before leaving Paris? That's a bit trickier. Recital 23 of the GDPR tells us that the mere accessibility of a website from the EU is not enough to establish that a controller is offering their goods or services to data subjects in the EU. Rather, we must establish whether it is apparent that they envisage offering goods or services to data subjects in the EU. Relevant factors include if they offer the site in a language other than their own that is the language of an EU member state, so in this case French, which is not widely spoken in the U.S., or if they allow purchases in an EU currency, euros instead of dollars. Guidance from the European Data Protection Board also offers a few examples, such as having a website with a suffix for an EU member state, such as .fr, having a telephone number in an EU country, or offering delivery to a country in the EU. They also list the international nature of the activity at issue, such as certain tourist activities, as a factor. This, plus one of the court cases the EDPB relied on, Hotel Elpenhoff v. Heller, strongly suggests that the GDPR would apply to the processing of Francois' reservation for a hotel over the internet. What about the reverse case, where Alice, an American, stays at the Hotel La Flèche d'Or in Paris? Remember, nationality is irrelevant. In this case, the GDPR would apply no matter if she booked at home or in Paris, since the processing is in the context of the activities of an establishment in the Union, in this case, a Paris hotel. That brings us to another important point, the rights of access, portability, rectification, erasure, withdrawal of consent, and objection to processing are not limited to EU citizens. They are held by all data subjects, and as Recital 14 says, nationality and residency are irrelevant to whether someone is a data subject under the GDPR. If you have ever seen the film The Great Hack, you'll know that it follows David Carroll, an American professor, as he attempts to obtain his data from Cambridge Analytica, a UK company. Now this occurred before the GDPR went into effect, so he filed his request under the UK's Data Protection Act, at the time its implementation of the Data Protection Directive. But the same principle applies to the GDPR. Cambridge Analytica infamously rejected his request, saying that he had no more right to his data than, quote, a member of the Taliban sitting in a cave in the remotest corner of Afghanistan. Not only was this a colorful rejection, it was dead wrong. The UK Information Commissioner's Office ordered Cambridge Analytica to respond to the request in 2018. Cambridge Analytica failed to do so, however, and a month later, the ICO pursued criminal charges, culminating in a guilty plea and fine in January of 2019. So we've seen that the GDPR's applicability is based off of the location and activities of the data controller or processor, not the citizenship or residency of the data subject. And so even Americans may have the right to file subject access requests under the GDPR. 
But what about other laws? A perfect counterpoint is the California Consumer Privacy Act. The CCPA protects the information of consumers, which are defined as natural persons who are California residents. It is Californians' data that is protected, and Californians who are granted the right to file verifiable consumer requests, a.k.a. data subject access requests. Note that California resident may not mean what you think, though. The CCPA references the definition of resident in the California Code of Regulations for the purpose of taxation. So while it applies to everyone in California for other than a temporary or transitory purpose, those who are domiciled in California but absent for a temporary or transitory purpose are also California residents. This is important since one cannot assume that a mailing address outside California means the CCPA does not apply. A student at university or someone performing military service may abide outside the state of California, but the CCPA would still apply to their information. So what does this mean for the future of privacy laws? I think the GDPR's approach makes more sense. As more countries pass data protection laws similar to the GDPR, the necessity of extraterritorial jurisdiction will diminish as local authorities take responsibility for enforcing their own data protection laws. This is, after all, the point of the GDPR's restrictions on cross-border transfers, which allow transfers to countries that the European Commission has judged to provide adequate protection. While nominally the CCPA applies to anyone who processes Californians' data and does business in California, in reality I imagine the California Attorney General would be hard-pressed to enforce its provisions outside of the United States. That's all for now. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week with more developments in data privacy law. Thank you.